0: Today, we wrap up our uh, sermon series called The Lord's, based on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray when they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus said. He said, When you pray, pray like this Our Father who is in heaven. May your name be made holy, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, the things that we need today, our daily provisions, and forgive us our trespasses, our our sins, as we forgive those who trespass and sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours, O oh God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And So it's been great kind of journeying uh, through, this, through this prayer. Some parts that we uh, really like a whole lot, like that whole thing about give us our daily bread. Yeah, bring on those carbs. That's right. Uh, forgive us. And then there's some parts of the prayer that we've kind of stuttered over when we've said them. May your kingdom come. And your will be done, meaning not mine, but yours, O God. Oh, yeah, and there's that whole thing about forgiving others. But today we we come to the part of the prayer, the kind of last part of the prayer, um, that's really sort of confusing to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lead us not into temptation because, well, we can find it just fine on our own. Thank you very much, God. We don't need your help but for that. I've been down temptation road so many times. I know exactly where to go. I got this one. That's not what Jesus is saying in the prayer here, though, okay? Opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You've heard that, right? Temptation comes once in a minute. We all know the way to temptation all so Well, because we are not tempted by that which repulses us. We're not tempted by that which repulses us. We're tempted by that which reels us in. So my oldest son, he doesn't like chocolate. I mean, y'all, I don't know what's wrong with the boy. Pray for him, okay? But... He he does he doesn't like chocolate and, and, and it repulses him. But you set some fruit snacks in front of him and watch out, you might lose a finger. But his daddy you set some brownies in front of that man, whoo it's on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a done deal. I'm, I'm a glutton for brownies. I'm a glutton for chocolate. There's a reason why uh, people named chocolate desserts like sinister things, like the devil's food cake, right? Just because it's oof, so good, it's bad for you. I'll admit, I don't always have self-control. I'm, I'm not always God-guided. I'll, I'll admit that. And don't shake your head at me, because I, I know you ain't always either, okay? But I know that about myself. I I, I know the things that they want to reel me in. I I know the things that that lure me in, that entice me. I I know my appetites. And no one is more vulnerable than the one who lacks self-awareness. No one is more vulnerable to temptation than the one who lacks self-awareness about the things that that lure them in, that that entice them, that, that draw them in. You see, we each, we each have our own kind of signature sins. We, we each have, have something that, that tempts us, or a few things that, that tempts us. We have our favorite temptations, and temptation doesn't look quite the same in you as it might look in someone else. Chocolate is one of mine, and it's, it's just one, okay? I'm, I'm not perfect, but we're not going to go there today. Let's just stick with, with brownies, all right? But for some people, chocolate doesn't tempt them at all. It, it repulses them. But you give, some, you give some fruit snacks to them. Oh, yeah. Or you give them a little taste of power. Or you go through their internet browsing history. And you see what tempts them. What their appetites are. We all have our favorite sins. That they like like your fingerprint, like your signature, like how you like your coffee in the morning. We all have a pattern for sinning that's unique to us. That we don't get tempted by the things that, that repulse us, but we get tempted by the things that, that try to reel us in. See we don't we don't sin at random. If, if it was random, it would be called a mistake, but, but our pattern of sin is oftentimes deliberate and predictable and catered just for our appetites. And here's what else might just kind of startle your mind a little bit, is that our temptations are often compatible with our unique gifts. Our temptations are, are often compatible, kind of go hand in hand with the unique gifts that God has given us. Let me, let me explain that a little bit more. So extroverted people have the gift of, of inspiring and encouraging others. They do a great job at it. But they might be a little bit prone to gossip if they're not kept in check. On the flip side, introverts, they have a great gift of, of listening and, and providing wise counsel, but they're not kept in check. They can be prone to become just passive enablers. Those who have a love for, for teaching and, and knowledge and, and discovery and sharing that with others, that's great. They can also be prone to belittle and try to one-up other people if they're not careful. See, our temptations... They come from within us. Temptations come from our own appetites. And our appetites, if they're not kept in check, they'll overcome our deepest and our greatest values that we hold so dear to us. You see, we all, we all have appetites. There, there's no denying that. We all have appetites. We have appetites for, for good stuff and for bad We have appetites for for food, of course. We also have appetites for money, and sex, and fame, and recognition, and affection, and envy. And the list goes on and on, but appetites, appetites, they're never fully satisfied. And so anyone with, with a high school boy knows this to be true, that the larger you become, the larger your appetite becomes as well. The larger you become, the larger your appetite becomes as well. You see, we don't outgrow our temptations. That's a common misconception is that, well, when I just get a little bit more spiritually developed, a little bit more spiritually mature, then I'll just outgrow temptation. Well, that's not true. Actually, Jesus who is a spiritually grown man, was tempted many, many times. Being tempted isn't a sign of being spiritually immature, but in fact I would say that, that recognizing that you are being tempted is a sign that you have matured spiritually spiritually. Because the one who's most vulnerable to succumb to temptation is the one who lacks self-awareness. Yes, I, I know the way to temptation. I've been down that road before, and so God, I know I'm heading in that direction. Deliver me from it. Lead me away from it. So here's what James says. And James now, this is James, the brother of Jesus. So I think we have it on, on good authority that he kind of knows what he's talking about when it comes to temptation. Because can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? All the times that you'd be tempted to, like, cover up the bad stuff that you did and, and get out of it. You know, oh, Mary, Joseph, don't, don't worry, Jesus, you know, we're all fine here. I'm, I'm sure he came to temptation a lot. But he says this, James chapter 1, he says, When tempted, no one should say... God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, that's just an important note, that, that God does not tempt you. He's, he's making that clear. God does not tempt you. You tempt you. We just got to clear that up before, before we move on. And so he continues. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire And enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We are tempted when we are enticed. We are tempted when we are enticed and drug away by our own desires, by our own appetites that we have. In other words, our appetites, our our desires motivate our temptations. And our temptations can become manifested in sin. And you can read the rest of the scripture. You you know that it doesn't end too well. You see, our our appetites can either rule over us or we can rule over them. Our appetites can either rule over us or we can rule over them. And, And where you are at in life... And where you will be in life, I think, largely depends on how you manage your appetites. And so how how do you stop this temptation train from from just totally ruining you? I mean, how do we rule our, our appetites, our desires, before they rule over us? Well, think of it this way. Have you ever made the mistake of going grocery shopping on an empty stomach. Or you've gone out to dinner without eating the whole day, and all of a sudden, everything just looks amazing. Everything just looks delicious. That when you're hungry, that when you're empty, everything begins to look appetizing. And so you end up coming back home from the grocery store with a couple extra bags of chips, one of which is half empty by the time you pull into the driveway, right? Because you just couldn't wait another minute. But likewise, likewise, when, when our souls are empty, then when our souls are empty, everything looks appetizing. Then when our souls are empty, sin begins to look appetizing. That when there's an emptiness in, in your marriage, other relationships begin to look appetizing. See, we are, we are created... With appetites. That, that's how God created us. We were, we were created to hunger and thirst, but we were created to hunger and thirst after good things, after, after godly things. But when we're empty, when we're hungry, everything begins to look appetizing, especially the bad stuff that you know you shouldn't want, that you know you, you shouldn't give in to. But when you have that hunger, when you have that, that emptiness, it seems like you almost can't stop it. But you can. You see, temptations, temptations try to get our appetites to overcome our greatest and our deepest values. And the emptier that we are, the more dissatisfied that we are, the more vulnerable that we become to fill ourselves with anything and everything that's right in front of us. But you see, there's there's a connection. There's a connection between our temptations and our confidence in God. So you notice when Jesus is tempted, he's tempted a few times throughout Scripture. We're not going to get into all the stories. But the first time that Jesus is tempted, he's out in the wilderness, and he's been fasting for 40 days. So, so he hasn't eaten anything in 40 days. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And that's when he's tempted. That's when he's tempted. He's running on empty, and the devil comes to him and tries to tempt him with food, with popularity, with, with power. And he answers each temptation. He answers each temptation with confidence in God. And so the final time that that Jesus is tempted, we're going to get into this a little bit, the final time that Jesus is tempted, it's actually right after a pretty big meal. So he's not empty in that way. He just had a large meal with, with all of his disciples, all of his followers, his best friends. They just had a big meal. But during that meal, Jesus knows that one of them is going to go and betray him. And he knows that all the rest, by the end of the next day, won't be around. And so he's empty in another sort of way. He knows that he's about to be handed over, to be mocked, to be tried unfairly, and to be crucified unjustly. And so this is how his temptation goes. It says this in Matthew, it says, Then Jesus, meaning then right after leaving the meal, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and trouble. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so that that cup that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the cup of suffering that he's going to have to drink. The cup that's full of of all the pain, all the sin, all the shame, all the hatred, all the violence that will be forced into his hands and demanded that he drinks on the cross. All of that. Nobody wants to drink that cup. Nobody's willing to drink that cup of suffering. And yet Jesus declares, yet not as I will, but God as you will as you will. And so he goes on. He says, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? I love that. They're sleeping on the sidelines. And he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. Jesus is praying so hard about all of this. He's praying so hard about all this because he knows what is to come. All the while, Peter, James, and John are asleep on the sidelines, and Jesus is praying so hard because he knows that it would come to this. He knew that it would have to end this way. And that even though he was was fully God, he was God in a bod, even though he knew that it had to end like this, even though all of that, he was still fully human. And he didn't want it to end with loneliness he didn't want it to end with violence and hatred and pain and even though he knew all of that he knew it was necessary because with every temptation there's always more at stake than what there seems to be on the surface there's always more at stake than what seems to be on the surface and and so Jesus is torn here He's torn between himself. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. There's a connection between our temptation and our confidence in God. And Jesus knows this. And so watch what he does. He goes back a second time to pray again, even though all those bums are asleep on the sideline. Jesus goes back again with confidence in God to pray again. He says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I love that detail. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. And then Judas shows up. That disciple that that Jesus knew had left the dinner table early to go and betray him. Judas shows up to hand him over to be imprisoned, mocked, and executed. And he hands Jesus over for a few hundred dollars. Judas has appetites too. And he shows everyone just what they are in this moment. But what Jesus did in that prayer... What Jesus did while he was praying in that garden, it was a prayer of painful and total surrender. Jesus handed over his will, he handed over his life to God, and because of it, God did something incredible. God did something incredible through this moment. So you remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that kind of last line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Jesus, Jesus didn't pray that part of the prayer while he was in the garden. He didn't say, Lord, deliver me from evil. No, he said, make this cup pass from me, but not my will, Lord, but, but yours. He didn't pray to be delivered from evil. Instead, he prayed a prayer of surrender. And he was delivered right into the hands of evil. And we gave him... Our very worst. But Jesus, Jesus came out the other side in victory. Jesus was delivered into evil so that we might be delivered from it. He was delivered into evil so that we might be delivered from it. He was delivered into the thick of it all and he defeated it so that we can claim the victory through him. Through his resurrection, we can claim that power and that victory. He was delivered into evil for us so that we could boldly pray for deliverance. So that we could boldly come before God. Say, Lord, I need your help. Deliver me. We read Hebrews 4 already. Let me, let me read that again. It says this, Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest. that's talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus You've been right where we are. Jesus, you you know the struggle. You know it all so well. And Lord, you you know us as well. And so we have the boldness to pray, deliver us. Deliver us from evil. For Lord, you looked evil eyeball to eyeball. And you overcame sin and death so that yours now... Yours now is the kingdom. So that yours now is the power. So that yours now is the glory forever and ever. That when we surrender to God our temptations, we claim a greater future than we could have ever possibly imagined. That's what Jesus does in the garden. He surrenders. He surrenders that temptation to God and claims a greater future, not only for himself, but for all of us. I love this. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, To pray deliver us from evil is to inhale the victory of the cross. To pray deliver us from evil is to inhale the victory of the cross, that it's over, it's final, that when we pray deliver us from evil, we have the confidence of that because Jesus has already overcome it. Jesus has already faced evil and defeated it. And even though it seems like it's still hanging on, it's lost its grip. Its power has been taken away and Jesus has made a way for our deliverance. Jesus has made a way for us and now he is worthy of all of the power, of all of the glory and the kingdom, the true kingdom we now know belongs to him and he invites us into it. He invites us to be a part of it. And when we surrender, when we surrender to God, we claim a greater future than we could have ever possibly imagined. A future where there is no more pain. There are no more tears. But there is new life. And it is abundant and unending. And so let me, let me just wrap all of this up for you. The, the past six weeks, let me, let me just try to wrap this all up for you. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that that last line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that last line is a response to the call in the first line. Our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy. For yours is the kingdom. And yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever. And there's a reason for that. Because you see, the, the longer that you spend praying those first couple lines of the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the longer you spend praying, Our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy. And, and the longer you spend praying for God's will to be done in your life and not just your own, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth just as it, as it is in heaven, then that means the less time you'll have to spend praying the rest of the prayer. The more time you spend praying for God's name to be made holy and not yours, the more time you spend praying for God's will to be done and not your own and not your own ways, the less time you'll have to spend praying for forgiveness and deliverance out of those places where you know you shouldn't have wandered into The more time that we spend praying for God's will to be done, surrendering our will and our ways to God, the less time we have to pray for our forgiveness, for our own deliverance. You see, when when you're full, when you're full, your appetites subside. They're still there, but you don't have the pain of them. So Jesus ends his prayer with a reminder to all of us. He says, remember remember who's in control. Remember who has the power. Remember the one who deserves the glory, that God has it all. And then if we can sign on to that, our response to this prayer is, amen. Which is a word that just means, may it be so. Jesus, after everything that you've said, after everything that you've taught us, and we're learning how to live into that, may it be so. Amen. God, whatever it is that that you want from my life to bring you glory, God, whatever it is that that you want from me, Lord, with everything, with everything, may, may it be so. May I be empty. And may I be full of you. God, I, I surrender. I surrender. Amen. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you taught us to pray but not only that Lord you you taught us to live and so Father forgive us for all the times that we've strayed away from that for all the times that that we've gone back down temptation road Lord you know us you know our appetites you know our hungers You know what attracts us. But Lord, we pray that you would fill us up. We pray that we would be empty of ourselves, God. Empty of all the things that that we want our way. And Lord, that we would hunger for you for your righteousness, for your kingdom, for your ways, for your glory, God. We know that the path to get there is surrender. And that doesn't come easy to us. But God, give us the boldness to come before you, one who knows just who we are, just where we've been, and you've been there too, Lord Jesus, take us by the hand and lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil and help us to walk that path of discipleship. Help us to walk in your ways, in a way that leads to life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.